0: and could i ask you to stand as we uh out of respect for the word of god let's pray heavenly father we just thank you for this beautiful day we thank you lord that you have called this people to this place today and we simply ask that your holy name would be magnified amen we'll be reading on page 842 on your pew bibles and it's uh oh let's see it looks like i can't see that well so it's i think it's uh It's chapter 6, I think we start at verse 45. Okay, thank you. Jesus walks on the water. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making... uh, Headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him, saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came uh, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch him, even the fringe of his garment. And as many as were touched, it were made well. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Those of you that haven't been here uh, the last few weeks or um, even just the last week or two, we are on a journey through the gospel of Mark. And in chapter 6, we see the disciples, the 12, have two, two major concerns, two fears, two worries that they are dealing with. Last week, uh, we looked at, at one of them, and in fact, these two worries or fears or concerns that they have, one of them is uh, substantiated. There's, there's a reason for it, and the other one is, is unsubstantiated. The worry is real, but there's no basis for their worry. Or their fears we have any any people out there uh, like me that might worry or have fears about things that they that they shouldn 't so the second one of the disciples th- concerns is like that, but the first one was what we looked at last week this concern of feeding this immense number of people for those of you that weren 't here, the disciple last Sunday for those of you that weren 't here, the disciples have just been out ministering two by two and they are worn out and in need of rest. And so Jesus and the 12 get in a boat and they go across the lake to find a solitary place to rest. They get there and there are thousands of people who have beat them to this solitary place in the middle of nowhere. The scriptures tells us there were 5,000 men. I mentioned last week there's always more women than men in church so there were 5,000 men there were at least 7,000 women probably 5,000 kids this huge number 12,000 or more people uh, that need to be fed as after he has been teaching for probably hours and hours and the disciples are concerned and they're and they're worried about that and Jesus provides and multiplies these five loaves and these two fish into the feeding of the 5,000, and he provides and is able to eliminate their fear and their worry. So the other thing that they're worried about, the passage that Jerry just read, today's passage, they've, they've finished feeding the 5,000, and now they are sent off, just the 12 of them, in the boat across the lake, and there's a storm that comes up. Now, this storm isn't like the storm that we saw a few chapters ago that was a storm that was not survivable. And Jesus comes and he calms that storm. This is a storm and they're rowing really hard and they are worried not about the storm. Did you catch it in the passage? What are they worried about? You weren't listening. You weren't listening to Jerry reading. What, what were they, anybody, what, what are they frightened of? Of Jesus. They think he's a ghost. They are frightened of Jesus walking on the water. There was this ideology, this thought process, this uh, thinking in the first century that there were these water spirits or demons, and they see Jesus walking on the water, and they are terrified of him, the very one who can save them and who can help us eliminate our fears. That's what and who they are terrified of. So today, as we uh, approach our passage, we're going to get into this verse by verse in just a moment. I want to begin by just kind of telling you up front here what, what my main point is. What the main point of this sermon, of this passage is. And it is this, that Jesus is able to eliminate every fear. Substantiated fears and unsubstantiated fears. He's able to eliminate those fears in all of us. Who follow him? This is one of the many things that he wants us to take away from this latter section of Mark chapter 6. Again, before we get into this verse by verse, let me just give you a couple examples of, of kind of contextualizing this and, and, and fears that, that the Lord can remove from us in, in our day uh, today. Let's imagine, if you will, with me a father who um, is struggling hard to provide for his family not making it each month, kind of deciding which bills are to be paid. Probably every one of us have, have been there. Maybe some of us are there right now. And then he gets this dreaded, dreaded uh, thing from the landlord that says, uh, your time is up and, and you're out. And he's full of fear. How, how, how can he even communicate this to his wife, to his kids? He's, he, he's full of this fear. Now, I want to say it's possible, like what we saw last week, that Jesus can, can multiply the, the money in the bank, or he can send a check to the home. And I've heard testimonies about that, even from some of you. Have any of you had experiences like that, where all of a sudden this money comes in? But I would say that that is the exception and not the rule. What is more likely when a fear comes like that, the way that God wants to eliminate and remove us of that fear is he wants to use his body. And that that father could come in confidence and talk with with the deacon and, and share what's going on. And that deacon's like, you know what? We have been saving. We've got this fund just for this kind of scenario. And in a confidential and a precious way, the body of Christ serves someone that's suffering. And, and and Jesus through His body is eliminating fears and helping one another. So that, that that's a substantiated fear today that, that, that we might have that the Lord wants to alleviate or remove. Let me share another one with you again before we get into the passage. Even imagine, if you will, a senior uh, in college, young man. He uh, he wants to be married. He's never been on a date he's He's terrified of talking to girls. He has developed this this these fears in his own mind in his own heart that they think he's Ugly, that he can't speak right, that they wouldn't want to go out with him. And he's never asked one out, but he's had these like fears just living inside of him day after day that have nothing to do with reality. Jesus is sufficient to help us out of those kinds of situations and those kinds of fears, whether our fears are substantiated, I got to get out of my apartment or my house, I got this notice, or whether our fears are unsubstantiated, something that's battling inside of us. Jesus is sufficient, and we're going to see four different ways today as we go through this passage that that Jesus is able to eliminate and help us through the fears that we have. So let's, we're going to start back just a few verses. Hope you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 6. We're going to go back into last week's passage just briefly let's pick it up at verse 42 mark 6 and verse 42 so well let me just read it they they all ate the context here is they've just fed the 5,000 5,000 men plus women plus children they all ate verse 42 and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000 verse 45 immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. That's the target. They don't end up there because of the winds, apparently. But Jesus immediately has them get in a boat and head in this direction. The reason I backed up, did you notice this? They've just collected 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, and then immediately he makes them get in the boat. So the 12 disciples are in the boat with 12 basketfuls of leftovers. You want to talk about an object lesson, about who is willing to provide. They are out in the middle of nowhere, and they were concerned, they were worried, they are full of fear, how are we going to feed all these people? Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish, and then he sends them out in the lake immediately, I believe the implication is with these baskets. Why did he have them collect them? He's a good steward, of course. He wants to, you know, he saves leftovers. We have a lot of, like, leftovers people out here. You you save that stuff. You eat it. That's part of it. But part of it, this is an object lesson for them. That he is the one who has provided. He is the one that is trustworthy. He is the one that is, is more than a miracle worker. So, He dismisses them, and they take off. Now jump down with me, if you will, to verses uh, 51, in the middle of verse 51, if I can find it here. So at the end of this, uh, after he walks on the water, after they're out in the storm, at the end of this, look at where they are. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Now, what didn't they understand? They, they saw this miracle. It's not that they didn't understand the, the, the miracle of the loaves. I don't think that's what he's getting at. I mean, no one understands miracles on one level, but they saw that this, this man worked this miracle. What they don't understand, why their hearts are hard, why they are completely amazed is they don't recognize who Jesus is. They may be thinking he's a great rabbi, he works miracles, but they are not recognizing Mark's central thesis of his gospel, beginning in chapter 1 and verse 1, is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God the Son. He is sufficient for life, for you, for me, for them. And they don't get that yet. So that's why they're terrified, in part, by, by this ghost. This is why they don't get the object lesson. So one of the major things that Mark is trying to drive home to the reader of this gospel is that Jesus is the Son of God, but this isn't just a cognitive thing. Okay, yeah, I check, check off the box. Jesus is divine. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son. No, but there's this living faith where he is sufficient and able to provide whatever I need, whether it's bread, whether it's, whether it's these fears and, and stuff that's going on inside of me, he's able to eliminate those. And so, number one of, of four points this morning is, is just very simply put, that we need to understand who Christ is. Not just cognitively, that he's divine, that he's, that he's deity, but he is my provider, he is my sustainer, he is with me. He is in the boat with all of us. And he not only is able to provide, but he goes way and above and beyond provision here with 12 basketfuls of leftover. This is the Jesus that we serve. Now, I want to draw out a few themes from chapter six, again, that I think the careful reader of Mark's gospel is intended to see, particularly careful readers that are familiar with the Hebrew scriptures or with the Old Testament. So let me just illuminate, show you a few of these themes. Uh, the first one is, is a location. These themes that are connecting, uh, themes from the book of Exodus and from the Exodus itself of the nation of Israel that are linked with Mark chapter 6. The careful reader will see this now in Exodus, the wilderness is a place where God shows himself to be the provider and sustainer and the Savior. Yahweh shows himself to be the deliverer of the people. Now look with me briefly back at verse 31 of chapter 6. Uh, Mark 6 and verse 31. Going back to the beginning of last week's passage, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. could also be translated the wilderness or the country and get some rest. So there is this theme of location of wilderness that is present in the Exodus and is also present, present, president. We've got quite a president, don't we? Don't get me going on that. Um, J- Jesus, uh, Jesus is present in the wilderness in a way that Yahweh was president... Was, Am I, am I supposed to say some things about this? This, this is just, uh, what, a, what a week. <laughs> What's that? He'll be tweeting about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If my church was in D.C. Uh, and it was a few thousand more people, I'd probably get some, some tweets or something, not, uh, not mentioning the size of his crowd. That was huge. Did you notice that crowd? Okay. All right, I'm getting off here. Here we go. Where are we? Wilderness. There are many themes in Mark 6 and in Exodus, in the event and in the book of Exodus. One of these is the wilderness. Another one of these is we see God's presence in Exodus in the pillar and cloud. We see this in Exodus chapter 13. But Jesus himself is God's presence in Mark chapter 6. Jesus is the one who, who, who lifts up his hands and gives thanks. and and, and multiplies this he is the presence of god he is the one that stills the waves and the wind in exodus we have this manna that is that just sustains god's people and then we have in in mark six we have this loaves and fishes with this overabundance symbolizing i believe the, the the abundance of god's grace and his mercy and the superiority of the new covenant versus the old jesus is present bodily god is present bodily and he is providing these loaves and these fish and then we have the rescue itself uh, the rescue from egypt via the sea and we have the sea, uh, a sea, uh, lake of uh, Sea of Galilee involved here where there's a storm and there is uh, salvation from the storm. Again, it is through Jesus himself. So we have these variety of themes, all of them showing us that Jesus is the provider, that Jesus is the son of God and that he is with us and can help us to eliminate all the fears that we have in our lives. Now we're in a battle spiritually. And I'm not saying that we can live a perfect life. That's I, I understand me. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in any given situation. If we are yielded and close to the presence of Jesus. We are able to have these fears eliminated. Whether they're substantiated. Whether they're unsubstantiated fear. So all of that uh, is my first of four points. Understanding who Christ is. Let's Let's move on. Look at verse 46. This is. This is really cool. The Lord opened my eyes to this this week as I was reading various commentaries and other things. So verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So he sends them alone and he goes away to pray. Now in Mark's gospel, there are only three times explicitly where we're told that Jesus prays. The last one is in Gethsemane, right before the cross. And I mean, that makes total sense. He's about to endure the sins of the world. He's about to complete this mission. He's about to endure this this overwhelming suffering, not just physically, but the wrath of God poured upon him. Your sins, my sins, the sins of the world poured upon him. So that makes sense he's praying. But I want to ask the question here, why in Mark's gospel, only here and one other place is he praying? Let's look at the other place we've already looked at. Let me just read it to you. It's in chapter 1, and verse 35. Let me just read it. It says, very early in the morning, While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place place where he prayed. This happens, 135, right after, let me read verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door. Remember base camp, Peter's mother-in-law's house. The whole town had gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he drove out many demons. So right after this, this huge number of people, are healed from sickness, healed from demonic oppression. Jesus has to get away and pray. And here, a much more massive crowd, 10, 15,000 people, who are like sheep without a shepherd, who he mostly taught, and then he feeds them physically. Then he has to get away to pray. Here's, here's my thoughts on this, and I'm not alone. I, I read about this this week. Jesus is tempted he never sins, but he is tempted. Uh, can you imagine being in the situation where ten or 15,000 people beat you to this solitary place to hear you teach? And then you teach them. You, you, you minister to them. You love them. You feed them. You have been healing and, and, and making people whole and new. I think Jesus is tempted to shortcut the process. The people want a Messiah and a Deliverer now. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's have Him reign. Let's do this healing thing. Let's bring justice to the land. I think Jesus, Jesus would like to shortcut the mission. His mission is to die as our sin substitute on the cross and to suffer in our place and be raised on the third day. But as He's doing this extraordinary ministry, He's got to just want to continue to do that all over the planet. Do you think? So he has to get alone, and he has to pray. So I think this is temptation more than fear. But I think this is instructional for us, what's going on in Jesus. And he was tempted before. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Of course he doesn't, doesn't give in to this. He is God. He is God in the flesh, But he's tempted by the evil one. He doesn't give in to this. I think this is perhaps even more overwhelming temptation here. Shortcut the mission and let's just bring this out now. Let's just usher in the kingdom now. So he goes and he prays. And so point number two is as God speaks to us about eliminating the substantiated and unsubstantiated fears that we have. We need to bring our fears, our temptations, to him in prayer. We need to, we need to identify what they are. The, the uh, young man, uh, illustration, uh, the senior in, in college who, who, who has these fears about relationships and about these fears of, of, of marriage or not being married and so on, he needs, to, he needs to bring those fears to the Lord in prayer. He needs to identify what they are. Hopefully he's able to discern uh, what they actually uh, are and bring them before the Lord. But sometimes we need others to help us to see what these um, these fears that we have are actually baseless. It's a battle that's going on inside of us. So bringing our fears and temptations uh, to Him in prayer. Let's let's come back to the text here uh, after verse forty six. We're at verse forty seven. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. So Jesus is alone on the land, they're in the middle of the lake. He saw, Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, between 3 and 6 a.m., he went out to them, walking on the lake. Now, this is pretty cool. I mean, that would be pretty cool. Would that be cool to just see that? You're like out on the boat, oh, hey. <laughs> There's Jesus walking on the lake. I mean, that would just be very cool. He was about to pass by them, is what the NIV says here. Now, Jerry, who uh, read the scripture for us this morning, said, you better talk about this. What What is going on here? He was about to pass by them. And I think this this holy spirit inspired gospel writer was exactly what he meant to do when we read this what he exactly intended is for the reader to go what they're in they're troubling they're in trouble they're 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 pumping on the oars jesus is going out why in the world would jesus walk right by them that's exactly what mark intended the reader to think as we're reading this And I think the answer is tied back into these various themes. I could spend another hour talking about all of these different themes connected between the Exodus and the events of the Exodus and the Old Testament in general and Mark chapter 6. So one commentator writes this. He says, for Mark, the event, the event of Jesus walking by, going past, is a theophany. It's a manifestation of the transcendent Lord who will pass by as God did at Sinai, before Moses. So this, this is an intentional passing by. This is, again, shouting out the thesis of Mark's Gospel one. This is the Gospel about Jesus, the Son of God. He is God, and He has walked by. And the reader who understands and who is familiar with the Old Testament would see this. So again, back to our fears. We need to understand who Christ is. We need to bring those fears to him. Let's uh, continue on. So where am I? Verse 48, he was about to pass by them. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. So here's their fear. Here's the core of kind of where this sermon is coming from, this unsubstantiated fear again uh, the same commentator uh, he writes this he says the disciples reacted to Jesus appearance with terror convinced that they had encountered a water spirit the popular belief that spirits of the night brought disaster is illustrated by a tradition preserved in the talmud and he went on and on and on but i think that was enough for you to understand this was this was the thought of those who traveled on the sea that there were there were sea spirits that would take out boats and would take people out. And this is what they have confused Jesus with. And this is why they have been uh, so fearful. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. So, number three, in dealing with our own fears, we need to recognize that our, our very real emotions of fear are sometimes baseless. There's sometimes no reason for the fears that we have. And they can sometimes spiral and cycle and, and and can really become major. And and sometimes we can deal with them on our on our own when they're when they're small things, but we often need help. We need a brother or sister to come alongside us and help us with these these battles inside of us. I think probably the the hardest and most Difficult battles that we deal with are, are, are inside here, are inside here. But sometimes we can deal with the small ones. I had, had my own situation, my own unsubstantiated fear uh, this week. i got to get my mountain bike mention in, right? Have I mentioned mountain biking yet? So um, I'm wanting to go on a ride this week uh, in the midst of my basketball losses. And uh, I'm wanting to go for a ride, but we've got this puppy got this new puppy in our home, and that is a bright spot in our home this week. Thank God for this puppy, but I'm wanting to go for a ride, and I'm like on puppy duty. Well, the puppy's growing a little bit, but definitely not ready to come with me on a ride, so, so I leave the puppy in the backyard with our, with our big dog, and while I'm riding, I, I just begin to have these fears, totally baseless fears. She's been back there in the backyard. She's been fine, but all of a sudden, I'm thinking, our next-door neighbors have a pool. Our puppy is going to somehow get into our next-door neighbor's yard and get into their pool and drown and die. And I'm going to come home to this puppy, like, floating in the pool. Th- these are just like the fears that, I mean, I- I'm sorry I'm not that sane, right? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sorry to just reveal what's going on in my heart and mind to you as I'm writing, but it's just a completely unsubstantiated fear, and sometimes we can recognize though, and we can kind of preach to ourselves and and just move on, but sometimes when there are bigger issues like this this senior in college these these things just become come huge and become changing who we are as human beings, so we need help to recognize that our very real emotions of fear are sometimes baseless, and sometimes we can have labels I thought of uh, you know, there's lots of things been written recently of uh, helicopter parents. And so as I was writing, I was thinking, yeah, I'm kind of like a helicopter puppy owner. Um, <laughs> the way I'm thinking right now, I got to got to just leave this behind and think clearly and reasonably. OK, back to our passage here. So um, immediately, so they, they're terrified and we're just about done here. Immediately, he spoke to them. They're terrified. They think he's a ghost. He's walking on the water. Immediately he spoke to them. He tended to pass by. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I love verse 51. Then he climbed into the boat with them. Jesus climbed into the boat with them. And the wind died down. I've been preaching that to myself. Jesus climbs into the boat with me all the time. And the wind dies down. Whether it's something simple like a puppy, whether it is something more devastating and more consequential in my life. When we are close to the presence of Jesus and allow him in, and we can see life soberly and see things as they really are, not as we think they are, but see them as they really are. our fears can be eliminated. So when he says here, it is I, we have another allusion to the Old Testament, uh, to, to uh, another allusion here uh, to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So I think this is the illusion, the way this is written, it's a little bit ambiguous, but I think this illusion here, it is I, is alluding to this theme again. There is theme after theme after theme in the Exodus, in the Old Testament, connected with Mark chapter 6. Jesus is saying, I am. I am with you. And so, finally, our last point this morning, is that we need to allow the nearness of Christ to displace our very real fears whether our fears are substantiated like an eviction notice or whether our fears are unsubstantiated like uh, girls don't like me i'm never going to be married or i've got issues of, of, of a puppy either one the nearness of christ can displace those very real fears i am is with us in a personal and an intimate way he is Emmanuel he is God with us and he wants us to know not just cognitively that he is the son of god but as we live out our faith he is with us let's bow our heads and ask god to help us to eliminate these fears lord every one of us here today has fears it's a matter of degree all of us have them some of them have some of us have them lord to the to the point where we can have attacks of sorts. Lord, we know that our fears are complicated things, but we know that Jesus, I am, is sufficient to help us through any of them. No temptation has seized us except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted even with fears, even with worries beyond what we can bear. He always, you always provide a way out, God, and so we are just acknowledging that now. And so I'm praying for all of us that we would find ourselves looking to you, not just checking off the box that I believe Jesus is God, but I am trusting Him in, in him as I am in the wilderness, as I am out in the boat in the storm. I am trusting in him as my Savior and my all-powerful God, the I Am. Lord, help us to see Twelve basketfuls of leftovers this week. That you are the over-abundant, providing God in our lives. Help us to see that. We ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. So I really like, uh, I really like this next song. The second part of the verse. Uh, kind of speaks to who we are as people. Uh, it says, From the hearts of the weak, from the shouts of the strong, from the lips of all people. Um, it talks about uh, praising the Lord, uh, raising a song
0: to Him, and how He will be praised throughout the ages, um, throughout the nations. And... Uh,